Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome back to Unbothered. Josh here today. If you listened to yesterday's episode, you know, I was endeavoring on my first video recording podcast, uh, upload it. Unfortunately, didn't work out. You were wondering yesterday, how would I even watch this? Uh, if I can't go to YouTube, well, do have a website working on it. Technical de- difficulties yesterday. So once I get that result, I will share that with you all hoping to build up a website. So picks that I make uh, can be there. People can refer to them, Google them, uh, get those picks. If you're a betting man, help you make some money. So let's get into today's podcast, talking about two Monday night games from yesterday's, uh, two big upsets. Uh, I was, you know, I was going with the favorites yesterday. I thought especially uh, Dolphins would win. Uh, Packers would win, uh, not a great Monday night last night. And then other news I'm going to get into, but Justin Herbert Chargers, uh, still talking about Kansas City, the flag, Patrick Mahomes, and then 14 weeks, uh, or yeah, 14 weeks done with the NFL, only four regular season weeks left. I give you my top 10 teams as we head into the final stretch, final push last quarter of this NFL regular season. So looking forward to getting into all this. Let's start with last night's Monday night football game, Packers-Giants. Let's start with that one first. So I was on the Packers, thought the Giants would cover. They did, and they actually won outright 24-22. Uh, Great win by the New York Giants uh, yesterday. Uh, to me, it wasn't a great game, but the Giants did enough to win a, some you know, comical errors made by both teams on both sides. Um, you know, three turnovers by the Green Bay Packers, just a terrible interception by Jordan Love, a bad fumble by him, and then a fumble must punt as well, which set the Giants up for their easiest touchdown score of the game. Uh, then on the other side, again, the Giants must punt on Barron. Staquan running free, uh, wasn't touched, fumbled as he hit the turf. Again, this is in college, so that was a fumble. Big return for the Giants. So, again, just a comedy of errors there. Uh, Packers, Matt LaFleur loses his first game as a head coach there in the month of December. Now, the Green Bay, I thought they could have ran the ball uh, more. They passed 39 times. And Jordan Love uh, wasn't the sharpest night. The past three weeks on their uh, winning streak strikes that they had, Jordan Love was balling out playing really good, and last night didn't look as sharp. So as a play caller as Matt LaFleur, you know you want to keep your guys going, keep them into it, keep pushing. But that's one where I say, hey, let me ride the A.J. Dillon, Patrick Taylor, uh, because they were able to run the ball 25 times for 123 yards, average of 4.9 yards per carry. I like that because A.J. Dillon, give me three and a half yards. Patrick Taylor, giving me seven and a half yards. So I would have ran the ball a bit more there. Um, you know, Giants didn't have a great answer when they were running the football. Uh, Giant Green Bay was able to get solid points. The only time Giants really came up with big plays outside of the turnovers was when Green Bay tried trick plays. And their trick plays, I'm sorry, sometimes you hit them, uh, sometimes you don't, and Green Bay didn't hit on any of them. There were a couple of double reverses. Uh, throwbacks, flea flicker type stuff. Not one of them worked. Every time the reverse ran that they did ended up for negative yardage. So a second and five turns into a third and 10. 
that's not what you want. Uh, too many negative plays like that on just bad play calling, trick plays where it's like, hey, you're running the ball efficiently. Uh, just stick to the formula. So just a frustrating game all around uh, for the Packers. Packers got humbled a bit. They win. They're clearly in the wild card. They lose. There's a cluster of six and seven teams now in that NFC. They'd still have a chance, but this was a big loss for the Green Bay Packers. Then on the Giants side. So the Giants, Tommy DeVito was efficient, 17 to 20, 158 yards. Really good as a game manager and made some timely throws like the one to Isaiah Hodgins in the end zone, which I thought was really good. Wyndale Robinson, uh, quick wide receiver, was able to get it to him, have him make plays. So they were able to do just enough uh, to get the win. Both teams missed a field goal. Uh, Green Bay uh, was down uh, 21-16, so they get the touchdown late in the game. Uh, Go for two and then just a bad, uh, I thought, play design, uh, giving it to Jaden Reed. Uh, got stuffed. I would have tried something a bit more pass option in the end zone. Have Jordan Love run it if he could. Didn't like the play call, so not going for two. Allowed the Giants to march down the field, kick the field goal, and, you know, end the game there. Um, and the defense, uh, just by Green Bay, in the final possession, they were playing prevent defense, weren't playing tight. I don't like that why. Because you're not playing to stop a touchdown, you're playing to stop a field goal. You really don't want them to cross the 50, and they're able to cross the 50 in like three plays. So the Green Bay defense, uh, not up to par bear, especially in the final drive. So Giants get, get the big one. Now let's go to the other Monday night game uh, between the Dolphins and the Titans. So again, Dolphins, I had... Winning this one, they lost 28-27. And they, you know, it's, I don't even know how to, you know, comprehend what I was watching. Because most of the time my focus was on Packers and Giants. And, you know, watching the game, they had the scoreboard. In the upper right-hand corner, saw so I slipping through it on my phone. And then, they, you know, sometimes they do the split screen. So, you know, it's a close game at half. It's... 10-7 Titans going into the fourth quarter. It's 13-10 uh, Tennessee. I uh, still have the lead. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be a close game, you know, uh, going down the stretch there. Um, but then it turned out to not be the case. So Raheem Mostert got a touchdown to make it 20-13 uh, in the fourth quarter. Next play, Will Levis fumbles the football, and it's given right there to Miami. In the red zone. So two plays later, Raheem Mostert gets another touchdown. So he scores two touchdowns in like a minute, uh, 15 second span. It's 27 13, uh, around four minutes left. I'm like, game over. Uh, you know, they've got this one. You know, the fumble by Will Levis hurt. You know, he threw a pick six earlier. Just those two turnovers for 14 points. That dooms you in these closed games. And now it's 27 13. 14-point spread. It's like, hey, uh, nice try there. But then, uh, right after the touchdown, the uh, Titans uh, manufacture a two-minute drive, uh, which was really good. They still have timeouts, two-minute warning. So then, what do they do? Titans have a, or Dolphins have a ball, go three and out, 
give it back to Tennessee right away, and they march down in like 26 seconds, score a touchdown to make it 28-27. So as quickly as the Dolphins scored two touchdowns to make it 27-13, the Titans scored their two touchdowns in the same relatively quick span, got a two-point conversion on the first one, made it 28-27. So now it's on Miami to go out and try to come back, get in field goal range and win this game without Tyreek Hill, mind you, because he did exit with an ankle injury. It wasn't the same when he came back, and Tua didn't even look his way. So they ended up losing. Uh, Tua got sacked. Again, uh, this offense is Tyreek-dependent. And to me, my brother mentioned this to me yesterday, is Tyreek Hill's MVP case should be stronger after this game because they are so dependent on Tyreek Hill. It really is. It's Mike McDaniel, great, excellent coach, his uh, play calling and schemes, but Tyreek is the engine of this offense. He is the MVP of this offense. I don't want to hear any more about Tua. Uh, he is not that guy in crunch time like this, a bum team that you should beat, even with a hindered Tyreek Hill, not even in the game. Uh, they are so Tyreek Hill reliant. It's kind of ridiculous that they need Tyreek in order to win games. It's it's as simple as that. Hopefully the ankle injury isn't too bad where he'll be out, you know, multiple weeks. You know, he said afterwards it hurt a lot. He texted his wife. His wife said, yeah, you, you got to play the game. So it just shows how much, again, they're dependent on Tyreek Hill for this offense to run. And I made the mistake, I believe, um, Yesterday, was it? Uh, maybe even the past couple podcasts that I've done. Is it the Dolphins offense and the Niners offense is similar? And Brock Purdy and uh, Tua are similar. After this game, I know it's one game. Uh, but really, it's last season and this season. Uh, the Niners offense is levels above the Dolphins offense. There's so much uh, layers and complexity. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's a much better coach than Mike McDaniel. That was never in question, uh, but I thought Mike McDaniel was right there really good, but uh, Kyle Shanahan is levels above this, being able to scheme Debo, uh, George Kittle, uh, all those guys, whereas they have the personnel and the Mostert, the Waddle. Mike McDaniel can't scheme up plays to those guys like Kyle Shanahan can, and Brock Purdy, even if you know Debo's down or Trent Williams, they can still win a game. They might lose it close, uh, but not to an inferior team like this. Whereas the Dolphins' offense totally changed without Tyreek Hill. If Christian McCaffrey goes down, I believe they can still win a football game. I truly believe that with the Dolphins. I don't believe Tyreek, or if Tyreek's gone, the Dolphins can win a football game. Uh, they're so Tyreek dependent. Strength is his MVP case, uh, but Tua, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to say Brock Purdy right now is better than Tua. He's actually proven more, won more, done more. Uh, I like Brock over Tua and the Niners over the Dolphins. The Dolphins, uh, more potential fraud. Just really a frustrating weekend. When I get to my top 10, I'll mention this, but a lot of teams uh, that were in the top 10 that lost in doing this top 10 was like really nailed down the the Super Bowl winning teams really nailed it down because Eagles embarrassed again. Uh, Chiefs lost. Uh, Dolphins lost to an inferior team. Lions lost. A lot of losing going around this week.
So there you have last night's Tuesday night games. Now let's get into the Chargers. So a lot of this weekend, you know, was focused on Eagles-Cowboys and Bills-Chiefs. The Chargers game got overlooked. Denver won convincingly. But the biggest story in that was the Justin Herbert injury. Uh, Fractured his right index finger on his throwing hand, scheduled to have surgery today. Uh, was ruled out for this Thursday night, no timetable on a return. And this is a huge loss for the Chargers. Uh, best player on a team, yes, this isn't as great as a year as he's had in years past. But this is a big loss for the Chargers. Your star quarterback, one of the top five or six guys uh, to lose is difficult. Uh, it's hard to replace your quarterback and then, you know, put in Easton Stick, I believe is his name. It's that's It's quite a drop off especially with the schedule they have coming up. Uh, but to me, they're, they're kind of out of the playoffs now. You know, Chargers are three-point dogs to the Raiders this Thursday. But to me, you know, just, Justin Herbert's down year miss injury. It's a compilation of really two things. Bad coaching, poor management. It is what it is. Now, uh, the coaching has failed Justin Herbert, uh, putting him in uh, position uh, to win games, uh, the schemes, the calls around him, the defense, uh, Brandon Staley is terrible. If you're blaming Justin Herbert for the struggles and not the coach or the management, you don't know football. Um, and the management uh, hasn't put him in a position uh, to succeed. Um, you know, good, one good offensive lineman, not a lot of great ones after that offensive line depth uh, isn't great. Uh, you lose your center, Corey Lindsley. You know, can't really find a replacement for that. Uh, drafting Quentin Johnston in the first round over Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers is a crime of the highest order. Scouts should be fired. General managers, owner, I mean, that is, it's bad. He is a terrible wide receiver. Can't catch the football. Uh, but one game against Michigan uh, really rose up his draft stock. I'm glad he got paid, got his guaranteed money. But... He can't catch the football. So that's bad for two Keenan Allen dependent line because Mike Williams got hurt early in the year. You draft the Quintus Johnston, who's obviously a bust. Let's get honest about this. He's not good. Defense, Brandon Staley, again, can't coach his side of a football. This is a man who, uh, to me, very overrated. Why? Because he was a defensive coordinator of the Rams with an Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. A lot of people with those two prime players could do their job really well. Leonard Floyd, all of them. But guess what? You know, when you don't have those guys and you need to be able to scheme defense well, guess what? He cannot do that. They are fourth in yards allowed at 375 yards per game. Uh, Last place is a commander at 379. It's only four yards per game against that. I mean, it's really... Not that good. Uh, thankfully, their scoring defense is much better um, than the yards, uh, but still, um, the defense isn't great. And that's Brandon Staley. So coaching, uh, roster construction has really failed Justin Herbert. Yes, they have good pieces, um, but I think some of those pieces, like the Joey Bosa's, the Cleo Max, uh, Derwin James, very, very overvalued. Um, if you were to have a fantasy draft, I don't think Joey Bosa would be in the top five 
Uh, Khalil Mack would be in the top five, top ten of edge rushers that you develop in the future, and Derwin James wouldn't be a top five safety, I believe, either. So a lot of overvalued, expensive pieces there on defense. Next, let's talk more about the Kansas City Chiefs. And I want to give the Chiefs some credit there. Why? I was about to come on the podcast today. And the reaction the um, Chiefs gave, especially Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes, I thought, you know, it wasn't cool. It was embarrassing the way he handled the postgame handshake and the – Interview afterwards, the post-game presser, uh, didn't like, you know, I was about to come in here and say, you know, Brady never tore the refs, you know, up like that post-game or in a podcast, um, you know, especially after the one, I believe, to the Chiefs in 2019 regular season game. So many bad calls against the Patriots. Never blamed them. Just said, hey, some things have gone my way in my career. Some things haven't. That's just how it is now. He would go after the refs in-game and get into their face about a call. Um, which I'm fine with. I thought Patrick Mahomes took it a little too far, you know, throwing the helmet down and, like, charging after him with, like, the guys, you know, hold me back, hold me back, like a Scarface type scenario. So, you know, I thought that was a bit over the top. But here's the thing. I don't like people saying things when they don't know the facts, when they haven't seen information. So Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, didn't see the play. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes worried about other things, uh, snapping the football. Andy Reid has his you know, McDonald's menu in front of them. So, of course, he's focused on other things. So, you know, Mahomes apologized. I thought, uh, you know, that was good for him um, to do that, you know, saying he didn't want to react that way, you know, really towards anyone in life. I thought, especially to Josh Allen, I thought that had to be the most uncomfortable post-game handshake uh, for someone, really. Um, he said he regretted the way he acted towards Josh Allen because he really didn't do anything. And he said the refs made the correct call. Um, said that, you know, after watching a replay, of course, couldn't see it there right after the game. But he said after the replay, he said it is a good foul, even though it's something that it's rarely called in the NFL. It is a foul. You have to learn from it and be better the next time. So Andy Reid said that he wants Tony to just check up with the sideline officials right now and do certain things to prevent that from happening again. So that was the right thing to say. It would have been better to not say anything after the loss and come out and say this uh, the following day. So glad the Chiefs took it because they were getting a lot of flack for the way they handled it, and deservedly so. Um, But I think this is a big learning moment for the Chiefs, and to me, this is the biggest push come to shove because there are so many frustrations right now with the offense that it kind of boiled over. So hopefully they come back on the field, uh, you know, with a vengeance win some games, um, easy stretch coming up here against the Patriots and their backup quarterback situation, Raiders, and then they had two semi-tough games at the year. We'll see how the Bengals are doing if they're still in playoff contention. Obviously, you know, Joe Burrow takes so much away from his matchup, but we'll see if Jake Browning in the last game against the Chargers, we'll see if Justin Herbert is back or if they just shut him down for the year. So really those two games are in flux, but they should win their next two and get to 10-5. and five. Uh, relatively easily. Next. So, to me, one of the bigger announcements was made yesterday. So, a lot has been made on the transfer portal 
and all that recruits going somewhere and people wondering, oh, am I going to play next year or go to the draft, you know, the Marvin Harrisons and Caleb Williams? Well, I like people who are decisive. I do. I don't like the Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison indecisiveness. Make a decision. Stick to it. Who made a decision? One of the quarterbacks I really like in this year's draft class, that's Drake May. So Drake May, uh, quarterback for North Carolina, one of the uh, top quarterbacks in the class to me. There is a healthy debate that he could be the top quarterback in the class, um, you know, compared to um, Caleb Williams. Uh, you know, to me, you have the comp that people are giving Caleb Williams for the Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but my comp for Drake May is Justin Herbert. He's a big, athletic quarterback. Uh, he's a 6'4", 230, mobile, and three years in North Carolina, threw for 8,000 yards, 63 touchdowns, uh, ran the ball 1,200 yards, and 16 rushing touchdowns. So uh, really close to 10,000 total yards of offense by himself and accounting for 79 touchdowns. So he was a great uh, player for um, North Carolina. I think he's going to be a great football player in the NFL. So I'm glad he made his decision and said, hey, I'm skipping my bowl game, going to the draft. You know, I'm ready to go to the NFL. Um, I think, you know, obviously if he doesn't go one, um, and as the first quarterback taken off the board, I think he'll easily be the second quarterback off the board. This is not somebody you pass on. I think Drake May is terrific. Uh, most scouts said that in most other drafts, he would go number one. Uh, but there is a Caleb Williams in this draft who, again, is really good. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I really do like this North Carolina kid, uh, Drake May. Again, like his decision-making with a football Again, had a bad team around him in college and was still able to consistently get around eight wins. That's something I like because I'm in the NFL. You're going to get drafted to a bad team like North Carolina, bad team. You're going to face some adversity, but are you able to pull through, get some wins? He was, even though the defense was awful, uh, not, you know, no first-round weapons or talent on the team. So Drake May, uh, North Carolina, really looking forward to the draft in April. Uh, first big announcement there of somebody foregoing future years entering the draft again. Love the decision that he made. Now, time to get to my NFL top 10. And like I said, this one was tough for me to rank personally. Why? Because you had, you know, teams that division winners, Jags lose, Chiefs lose, Dolphins lose, Lions lose, Eagles lose. So many people lose and somehow they're still in my top 10. So, Really want to separate this out right now. So dive into this one and kind of layer it for you. So in this first layer, Buffalo Bills, they are at number 10 at 7 and 6. Uh, this is a team that are, you know, is very inconsistent, uh, but they have the, you know, fifth highest point differential in the league at plus 104. Uh, higher than... Teams like the Chiefs, you know, the Eagles, the Lions. Um, this is a team that blows you out, struggles in close games to have won a couple this year, most notably against the Chiefs. That was a great win for the Buffalo Bills. This is a team that can beat you by 25-30 on every, any given day like they did the Dolphins, beat you by a few points like they did the Chiefs, or a team that, 
like, oh, did they just lose that game like they did against the Jets or the um, Patriots? You know, they can lose on any week and they can win on any week. They're a very dangerous team moving forward. I think they're a good team as well. Uh, I think seven and six, this is a team that, hey, with that Dolphins loss yesterday, them having four, uh, both schedules for them are tough. But if Miami can slip up again, they still play the Cowboys and the Ravens. They lose those two, and the Bills went out going into there. Uh, they would be number one going into that final match for the division against the Dolphins um, last week of the season. Could be flexing the Sunday night. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, majority of my picks now are going to be based on how I think this uh, playoff seeding will appear. So Bills here at number 10. Josh Allen still fantastic. Was able to win with Stephon Diggs getting shut down. Gabe Davis not having a catch. Inconsistent run game. Josh Allen, uh, again, I've never doubted him, never hated him. Been clearly in my top four for years now. Um, depending on how Jalen Hurts plays, uh, could be ascending back to the three spot. He's fantastic. Number nine, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Bad loss for the Brown, uh, for the Jags. Now, if, um, they started, um, their backup, C.J. Beathard, and said, hey, Trevor Lawrence, we're not going to start you, play you. Um, that's something that I um, can accept, I can live with, and I wouldn't drop them down as much. But when you start Trevor Lawrence on a bum ankle, you make him throw 50 times, and he happens to throw three interceptions, doesn't look good. Yeah, I've got to move you down when Joe Flacco is the better quarterback on the field. His team couldn't run the football against a good Browns defense. They lose a pivotal game here which could have seen them leapfrog the Chiefs for the third spot. Now, to me, the Jags, Texans, winner of that division are clearly locked in at the four um, game. They could have won, I thought, if they didn't play. Um, uh, Trevor Lawrence still uh, had a chance to win and couldn't do it. Uh, they're moved down to number nine, still in that first layer. The other layer of that bottom tier to cake. The Cleveland Browns. I do think the Cleveland Browns are legit. Obviously, with the defense, they named Joe Flacco the starting quarterback for the rest of the year, and he's balling 39 or 38 years old, coming off from a couch, running routes with his kids, and here he is slinging it on the Jaguars' defense. Was able to pass well against the Rams, and then this week uh, really move the football up and down the field. Uh, just engineered great drives, even though the Ground game wasn't going. Jerome Ford, their leading rusher at 51 yards. Joe Flacco, David and Joe Gooby's weapons. They were able to get it done in this defense, uh, even though it sort of came winding out of spiraling in the fourth quarter. Uh, this defense really held it together for the first half so that when they needed to make, make key stops in the um, fourth quarter, they could do so, and they did. That's why I had them there at number eight. Now let's move up another layer in this cake. You have those first cluster of teams, 8 through 10. Let's move up to the next layer, starting with number 7. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they're there at 7 uh, because even though this offense has looked uh, putrid, really, um, this season, you know, narrowing each week, they get closer to the bottom of the top 10 and getting closer to inching out. Defense, still really good. Top 10 defense. Uh, 
but this offense needs to figure it out. But when you still have Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Rasheed Rice is really coming on, really like him as a wide receiver. He's developing great as of late, even though he had the key fumble. Uh, Pacheco may have young stars, young players. Um, they just might be too young to win the Super Bowl this year. Yes, last year had some uh, uh, veterans on the team. Next team within that same cluster, number six, the Miami Dolphins. This is a team I thought they went last night. They're 10-3. and three. They're in the upper echelon of teams. But when you lose to the Titans, so the knock on them was they can't beat good teams. They can only beat up on bad teams. Well, when you can't beat up on a bad team anymore and you can't win without Tyreek, it says a lot about your team. Too Tyreek dependent, uh, not good enough. That's why I have them down at uh, number six. So offense to me uh, still is good. Uh, sputtering without Tyreek Hill. Uh, defense slowly coming together. But the loss of the Titans, that will linger. Especially you had a chance to be the one or two seed. Now you can't really afford to lose a game with Kansas City behind you because they have that tie break. Number five in the next cluster of teams, you have the Detroit Lions. So the Lions are sitting there at five in my spot. Uh, they have the third best offense in the NFL, even though really didn't show like that in the second half. Defense getting worse and worse each week, which is why I have to drop them each week. Uh, started off great early in the year, top five. Then, you know, you play some teams, top 10. You're like, hey, you're hanging in their top 10. Now you're just a mediocre defense, uh, especially since the bye, you've been trash. Um, not one to call them out, but this has got to get better. They still have great players on the team. Jared Goff, Jameer Gibbs is really come on as of late. Uh, I think you need to get Jamison Williams, Donovan Peoples-Jones involved more. You have so much talent on the offense, and I know it's hard to feed everybody, but you've got so much on there. And defensively, you need Aiden Hutchinson to play better, uh, and hopefully C.J. Gardner-Johnson comes back soon because um, Tracy Walker ain't the guy on the back end. And Kirby Joseph, great rookie year, sophomore slump this year. Number four, moving up to tier. And this is a tier all by themselves, a group right there by themselves. One team, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. Why are they in this third group by themselves? Well, because... This is a team that last year made the Super Bowl, is going through a rough stretch right now, two straight blowouts. But this is a team I'm not giving up on. Why? Because they're able to win close games. If they're in a close game, there's no one I trust more right now than the Eagles and Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni to win the game. We saw that against the you know, Cowboys in their first matchup. We saw it against the Chiefs, uh, the Bills. They're able to get it done. And they're still able to blow you out. They blew out the Eagles, or my bad, the Eagles blew out the Dolphins. They were able to do that. Uh, the Buccaneers, they're able to get these two touchdown wins. So I've seen them be able to do that. I know they're a little hurt, but best offensive line, Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. Yes, this defense ain't what it was last year, but with this offense and the schedule that they have coming up, I think you can tweak some things and make it to where, hey, we're going to win the division, still think they'll win the division, and could somehow still get the one seed. Personally, I hope we don't, for the Lions' sake. Now, let's go to the final tier, the group four teams, the best three teams in the NFL, I believe. Number one, Baltimore Ravens. Yes, I believe the Ravens are number three. They're third in point differential, plus 143. Lamar is playing terrific. Their young receivers that they hit on are playing well. The Rashad Bateman, the Zay Flowers, their running game is good. Offensive line is good. 
yes, it seems like they've missed Mark Andrews, but when you're still able to win without your best pass catcher, speaks volumes. They lost Kyle Hamilton, their best safety, best defensive back, still were able to win. I'm glad it's just an MCL sprain and not anything major because it looked bad. Him and Geno Stone have been great on the back end because their corners, specifically Marlon Humphrey, is Swiss cheese back there. But this offense, this team, well-coached John Harbaugh, uh, I have them at three. Number two, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, one of the best teams, only team right now to have not lost a home game. Just remarkable. Uh, plus 188 point differential, that's number one in the NFL. Dak Prescott playing like an MVP candidate. There's not much bad to be said about his teams. Stephon Gilmore playing well in the back end with Deron Bland. Uh, J. Ron Kirst playing good. Micah Parsons, elite. C.D. Lamb, offensive line. They have the best left tackle, left guard in the game. Uh, really not a lot of holes on this Dallas team. But let's get to number one. Another team with not a lot of holes. The San Francisco 49ers. They're one. They smoked the Cowboys earlier in the year. And they're still winning a lot of games. Plus one needs 75 point differential, which is second in the league. Brock Purdy playing like an MVP candidate, not the favorite like Dak Prescott, but it's got an abundance of weapons. When this team is healthy, it is hard to beat. Um, and then you look at, um, again, the defensive side, defensive line, insanely stacked. Linebackers good. Uh, only minor, you know, one right now is a secondary for the Charvarius Ward injury. Uh, hopefully that's not severe, doesn't keep him out this time because you already lost Fufanga. That would be bad in the back uh, end. But there you have my top 10 teams. So just to recap there, I split them up into four groups. I have, you know, the first bottom tier, Bills, Jags, Browns. The, uh, those to me can win playoff games, dangerous teams, no chance of getting to the Super Bowl. The next tier in the group two, these are teams that can make the Super Bowl, cannot win it, they can make it, if everything falls into place in terms of officiating uh, teams you play in the playoffs, everything goes right for you. That's the Chiefs, Dolphins, Lions, Eagles. This is a chance, a group that can make it and win the Super Bowl. However, they need to play perfectly, and that's the Eagles. And then my last group, the favorites, the ones who can win it all, uh, without a doubt, Ravens, Cowboys, Niners. So there you have it. That is my top 10 teams as we head into the final stretch, final quarter of the NFL season. Looking forward to seeing how this end plays out. It's going to be exciting. Uh, no more bye weeks. Everybody is playing 16 matchups on every week. We get Saturday football now. This Saturday, next Saturday, the following, there's just NFL galore. Uh, the schedule has done really good this year, especially the Monday night games, Sunday night games. Looking forward to the rest. Can't wait to talk to you guys later. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody.